0: help of Hashem, we are learning about Vekam and We left off on Daph Nuntes, Omid Aleph, ten lines from the top of the Omer at the end of the line, Omer Abaya. Abaya says the following, that Rabbi Haglili, whose opinion we learned yesterday in the brais on Dafnun Ches Omid Beis, that if one's animal eats up another person's chazes, chazes we interpreted as newly sprouted grains, So said Rabbi Yehissi Haglili, even though the damage was done to something that has very little value because it was Mamash only, newly sprouted So Rabbi Yehissi said that Niddoin bin meshuyar, which means that we have to see how much would have these grains been worth right before they would have been harvested. In other words, we look at the future and we evaluate the, the current damage based on how much it would have been worse in the future. And that is what needs to get paid. So Abaya says the concept of de B'meshuya, the concept of future evaluation, isn't only the opinion of Rabbi Yisi Haglili, but Rabbi Yishmol, the Tana Rabbi Shmal, also Amrud Overechad, they are of the same opinion. Rabbi Yisi Haglili, huda As we just mentioned, the Din of Niden B'meshuya. We evaluate the future and make the person pay for it in the present. Rabbi Yishmael, where do we find this concept of future evaluation? Related to Rabbi Ishmael the Tanya. So we're going to relearn the machoikas that we had on Davava Beys, And we're going to see that Abaya understands the opinion of Rabbi Yishmael in a novel way, in a way that we never learned until now. What is the Machwijkis? There is a braiso. The braiso is based on the pasuk of "metav Sodeyu U Karma Yishalim. The trader is telling us that the Mazik has to pay metav. he has to pay from the best of his field, from the best of his vineyard. The question is who's the his? The best from whom? So says Rabbi Ishmael, "Metav Sodeyu means the best of the field of the Nizak, of the damaged party. Maitav Karmay means these are, words, these are the words of Rabbi Yishmael. Now, if you'll remember that when we learned this for the first time on Daf Vav Ahmed Be'ez, the initial understanding of the Gemara was that we're speaking about a Mazik, a Mazik's animal that ate up some produce that belongs to the damaged party. The damaged party had good vegetable patches, had bad vegetable patches. In other words, he had vegetables that were kushim, that they were weak. He had other patches that were Shemanim that were rich. And the initial, initial understanding is that Rabbi Shmuel was saying that even if the mazik's animal only ate the kusha, ate something of little value, the mazik has to pay according to the most valuable vegetable patch that the nizik has. And that was something that was ruled out from the beginning. And we'll continue that in a moment. That was the initial, initial understanding on the government base. Rabbi Heber says, The Torah is teaching you that when after the assessment of the damage was made, if the mazik is not going to be paying with cash, the mazik is going to be paying with real estate, what type of real estate does the mazik has to use for payment? He has to give his best, as we use the words, his idios. So the mazik is going to have, if he has different types of properties, we're going to categorize it into the best properties, into average properties, and into inferior properties. Ideas, benines and zibudas, the mazik has to pay from the mazik's idiots. And on that, Rabbi Kiva added, v'kolt la hegdish. that in a case where a commoner has to pay damages, that the commoner's animal made to hegdish, And by the way, that was the whole machoikas that we spoke for the first time on Dav Zion. That many opinions hold that if we are Magdish Hegdish, or if Hegdish is Magdish, a commoner, then there's no payment of damages because it's Re'eyu. But that's not the opinion over here. That the, the, Rabbi Kiva holds that there are scenarios where a Hedyat has to pay damages to Hegdish. And if a Hedyit to a Hedyat has to pay from his idiots, from the Mazik's Idias, so Rabbi Kiva said that if a Mazik has to pay to Hegdish, he has to pay from the Mazik's idius. Now, Again, as we spoke out, the Gemara and Davovah Medez, the Gemara on Davovah began to explain that Rabbi Shmo, that says, Meitav Shel Nizak, initially, the first opinion was that if the Mazik damaged a vegetable patch that is Khusha of the Nizak, he has to pay a vegetable patch which is of Shemena of, of the Nizak. He has to pay the Nizak's most expensive vegetable patch. And that was right away refuted. The Gemara asked over there if he damaged something worth $5, why would he have to pay something that's worth $100? Who cares if the Nizak owns another vegetable patch that's worth $100? Look at what the ma- Mazik damaged. So then the second answer the Gemara gave the Loy Tema here, Abaya is not interpreting Rabbi, Rabbi Ishmal the way Rabbi Idi Bar Avin interpreted. The Omar Rabbi Idi Bar Avin, keep going. And that was the second approach we learned on Daf Vav Hamid Beis Aruga baina beina harugais That the Mazik's animal ate up one of the vegetable patches of the Nizak Now the Nizak has all types of vegetable patches He has vegetable patches that are worth a lot of money He has patches that are worth a very little bit of money And we don't know which one he ate up That was Ravidia's interpretation And V'lo'i the Inon, we don't know if the mazik's animal ate up a weak patch, a very uh, not valuable patch, or if he ate up a rich vegetable patch, the omar, which on that, Rabbi Shmuel is saying, go pay. you don't know which one you damaged? I'm going to say, Denizak, that your animal ate up my most expensive one. According to Rabbi Idy's interpretation, the metav hashto, that, based on the value of the vest vegetable patch, that's what you need to pay. That's the way that interpreted. So Abai is saying, I don't accept that interpretation. Now, by the way, if you remember, the Gemara de on the Vavamid base refuted this because if that would be the case, that we simply don't know what the Mazik damaged, and Abishmal is saying he has to pay the most expensive patch. So on Davava Amit base, the Gmoder concluded that what does Rabbi Shmuel mean? Rabbi Shmuel is speaking about a case that the Idias of the Nizik is like the Ziburus of the Mazik. Remember that? In other words, he did damage. We know what he damaged. If the damage was worth $5, he has to pay $5. The only question is, if he's paying with land, and the Mazik has land, they're all worth $5. But some of them are considered superior. That means that they are in a better location, they sell quicker. Obviously, it's going to be a smaller land. The mazik has average properties, also worth $5, but they are harder to sell. The mazik has properties that are out in nowhere where no one wants it. They're very large, but if you sell them, when you sell them, they're also worth $5. Same thing, the nizak also has different quality of properties. So the Gemara there learned that Rabbi Ishmael is saying that the nizak has to get paid with property that for the nizak, it's like the nizak's idiots. And even if for the mazik, it's the mazik ziburius, the mazik can pay his ziburius if it's the idios of the nizak. That's the way the Gemara Veer understood Rabbi, Rabbi Yishmol. So here abai understands it different. Abai understands that what did Rabbi Yishmol mean? The metaf sodeu shel nizak, like we just learned in the shita of Rabbi Yoisi, which is, Tataachi Abaya rejects the interpretation of Ravidi bar Avin, Tama, like we learned over there, because if that would be his meaning, Hamait se mechaved elavaraya. If we don't know what the Mazik destroyed, you can't say you don't know if he ate up chusha, if he ate up shemena, you gotta pay the shemena. Why? Why pay the shemena? Maybe he didn't eat the shemena. Ella, how does Abaya interpret the Shita of Rabbi Ishmael? Be meitav delakame. Be meitav delakame means. That, that we know exactly what the mazik's animal ate up. The mazik's the animal ate up something that right now just began to grow. So right now a doesn't have a lot of value. So Rabbi Ishmael says, don't evaluate how things are right now. like Look at this vegetable patch. If no one would have damaged it, if it would have grown until you're ready to pick it, how much would it be worth in the future? And that is something that you have to pay now. That's the meaning of the mate of the nizak. The umayniyu, what's the mate of how much it's going to be worth later? Ki the how much will this vegetable patch, how much will this vegetable bed be worth when you are about to remove it from the ground, when it's ready to be harvested? And that's the money that you have to pay right away. So Abayu who understood that pshat and Abishmol is saying that Rabbi Shmol and Abiyasi Aglili have the same opinion. That you evaluate how much it would have been worth in the future and that's the amount of money that you pay now. Omar Amar continues the Gemara. We learned on the Brayse, all the way at the end of Daphnun Chesam and Beis, going on to Daphnun Chesam and Aleph, a scenario where an animal ate up some madar. Samadhar we interpreted are budding grapes. Now, really, just to make things clear, that we learned really different there are different stages in protos being ready. The earliest stage that we learned about in the Braiso also was something that's called Lulave Gifanim. The Yhuritainim. Lulavi Gifanim means shoots of grapes. Shoots of grapes is that the grapes are so underdeveloped that you cannot even identify each one individually. They, they are all in a cluster. That means there's a bunch and they all look like one to you. The next step, step in development is called smadar. Smadar means that you can, recog, you can recognize each bud separately. Now it's only in the beginning. They're very, very young, but they're already individualized. The next step we learned in the Brayse yesterday was the face called boiser. Boiser means half ripe grapes. And then you have grapes about to be harvested. So we learned yesterday that if my animal ate up your Samadar So the question is what do I pay? Do I pay how much it's worth now? Then we went back to those opinions that said Forget about what's worth now You don't even pay for the damaged produce You put the produce on the land And you look how much was the land devaluate And then we added and it doesn't only mean look at the land Right under the produce Add 60 times to the land and now see how much was the land devaluated. That's what we learned yesterday, which is a much smaller amount of damage. So we learned the sheet of Rab Shimon ben Yehuda that says in the name of Rab Shimon, on the case of an animal eating Samadar. Rab Shimon ben Yehuda gave a very difficult halacha to understand. Because again, there are different phases in development. The b'raisa began, if you can look on dafnuntesam, of dalaf, mamashantapara amit, akhla samadar so Rabbi Yeshua says, you look at the future. How much would have these grapes been worth right before they're going to be harvested? The Chachamim say, forget about the grapes in the future. You don't even pay for the grapes in the present. You only pay for the land that became devalued. And on that, Rab Shimon, Ben Yehuda says the name of Rabbi Shimon, he says, reading his opinion, that when do you only pay for the devalued land, which is a much lower number for the mazik, only if the grapes were still in their earliest phase, when they're still just shoots, when they're still clusters. And then Abshimin says, but if the grapes are already half ripe, then you already have to pay for how much they would have been worth right before you would harvest them. The challenge with this opinion is that what about Samadar? He spoke about how much you pay when the grapes are before the stage of smother. He spoke about how you pay for the grapes after they are in the stage of smother, when they're already in the level of boiser. But he didn't respond, what do you pay if the animal ate up smother? And actually, if you analyze his words, there appears to be an inherent contradiction. Because when he said that you only pay for the devalued land, if the grapes were in the stage number one, when they're still clusters, What does that imply that ha if they are already in the next stage, if they were more developed, they are already budding, you can see each grape individually, then it appears that he holds that you evaluate how much they would have been worse had they had been ready to be harvested. And on the other hand, the next line he said, that if the animal ate a pagim or boisar, half-ripe figs, half-ripe grapes, which is in the level that's even more than Samadar. Here is where Rav Shimon says, <speaking in Hebrew> which implies that you only make the evaluation based on the land's diminished value. So which one is it by Samadar? Says You have to bundle the b'risa together and read the following. That you get to only pay for a devalued land. Only if the animal ate up clusters of grapes and clusters of figs. Shoots of grapes, shoots of figs. In other words, only when the produce is in the earliest stage. Do you get to pay by only evaluating the land price that became diminished. But if which was the case of the Brays on or if the animal ate already Pagamoy Boisar. It's from the phase of other onwards, he basically apparently is saying, like Rabbi Yeshua, oison Ki you don't only cheshben, the land's diminished value. No. You pay for what you ate. And not only do you pay for what you ate, you don't even value the boiser right now. Boiser, you know, you don't look at the pagam right now. And you don't look at the smother right now. You look at how much would these grapes been worth right before they're going to be harvested. And that is the amount you have to pay. The only problem is, that in the case of smother, rabshimen, is basically saying like Rabbi Yeshua, So Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda, Rabbi Yeshua. What is the difference between these two opinions? We already had recorded the opinion of Rabbi Yo Yeshua. The first opinion recorded on the Amit. So the Gemara answers, The difference between Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda and Rabbi Yo Yeshua will be Kachash Gufna. Kachash Gufna means the following. It means the weakening of the vine. My animal Ate up your smother. Okay, so both these tanoim hold. I got to pay you a full dollar. I don't pay for the smother. We look at how much the smother would have been worse when it was already fully developed. That is what I need to pay you. No, we look at the future and I pay for that now. But says, the Gemada, if you look at the future, there was something else that you might have to deduct from the money that I pay you. What will the mazik, what will the mazik be able to deduct? The mazik tells the nizak, okay, if this would have developed, now they're worth a dollar. Right before they would have been harvested, they would have been worth fifty dollars. So you want me to pay you fifty dollars, but we know one thing. That if the grapes tackle would have developed, they would take nourishment from the vines, the, wine, the vines get weakened. Which means next year's harvest, the vines would produce a little bit less. Now that my animals ate of the Samadar before they developed, so they did not take out all the kayak from the vines, the vines are not weakened, next year these vines have more power. Now may, let's say that that difference is two dollars. It's a very small difference. But one of these two Tanoim holds that even when you go into the future, you go into the future, but then you also deduct this Kachash Gufna, so, on one hand, you're being very machmer on the mazik. You gotta pay for full price. One of these tanoim holds, even when you're machmer, you do a little bit of a leniency. The mazik gets to deduct that difference. Only thing is, as the Gemara of Elohim is time, We don't know, it's not clear, which one of these two tanoim hold that you get to deduct off the price of the future. Both of them are saying, you gotta pay the, the, the nezik of the future. Which one allows you at least to deduct a little bit? We don't know who holds what. And on this, Abaya says, I know with certainty which Tana holds that you get to deduct. Not only do you, in the negative, you have to add to the future, you look at the future to the detriment of the Mazik, but you also get to deduct to the benefit of the Mazik by a Kachash Gufna. And Man Tana Abaya says, I know that this Tana is Rabshinu and now you have a Gavaldika piece of Gemara to see how these Amoraim knew how to compare cases, which is moiradik. So we're looking, we're learning now about my animal eating up your smother. Good. And the tana that holds, I gotta pay you for the grapes, not for the smother. So now we are comparing this to the following case: Reb Shimon second white line, in the name of Reb Shimon Ben Manassio, when a man, God forbid, is maanas a woman, if a man rapes a woman. Aside of the dinim that the Torah explicitly speaks about, about the knas, that he has to pay to her father when she's a naira. If you remember, Mesech Teksubis, we right away spoke out, and in other times, that aside of the 50 shekel kesev, he has to pay for the tzar that he caused her. Now, the tzar of being ma'anas a woman also includes, not just Bolosh and Chazal, the tzar of th- throwing her down on the ground, but the act of Bia itself, if she was a psula, so the rupture, the, the rupture of the, the psulim is something that causes her tsar. So Rabbi Shem she says that This specific tsar of rupturing the psulim is something that the Ma'anis does not have to pay. Why not? Because That tsar she would have when she would have gotten married. And when she would have had in her first relation with her husband, anyways, that sad of the rupturing of the Ibsulim would have been something that she would have to tolerate. So here you see, look at the comparison, that we you look into the future, in this case, again, to the benefit of the Mazik, and you deduct off the money that he has to pay now, if in the future there is also a benefit, or at least that sad would have happened anyway, so you don't have to pay it in the present. Now, by the way, that is challenged by the that and Medad Baraiso. Um, they told Rab Shimon, Ben and that ain'a nevelas yeah, every time the first bia causes a woman to have tzad. but if she would have been doing it willingly, there would have been less tzad. the fact that this man was Ma'anah sir, she has more tzad. so you can't deduct that of this because the tzad that he gave her is more than the tzad that she would have had so he's arguing, not with the concept, the concept of looking into the future and saying that anyways, you would have had that pain in the future. And therefore, you get to deduct it off the pain that you caused for her now. This concept of looking into the future, we know, is the opinion of, of, Rabbi, Yeshua, of Sh, Rabbi Shimon. So, and therefore, since Rabbi Shimon is the one that's going to hold that you deduct the Kachash Gufna, we understand that Rabbi Yeshua holds that you don't deduct the Kachash Gufna. That Rabbi Yeshua here in Smodar is the most machmer. Now says, That the following tanoim, as we learn in the B'raisa and what we just learned now of Rab ben Yehuda, that you don't have to pay her for the tsar of the breaking of the psulim because she anyways would have had it in the future. They have the same opinion. Rab ben Yehuda is what we just spoke out, both in the case of the maanis and here in the case of the smother. You look into the future and you deduct and, you, and you, you pay for the future, but if there's a benefit, you deduct off it right now. And what is the other Tanoim and the B'raisa? the Tanya, Rabbi Yoisi, And Rabbi Yossi is referring, we're jumping from case to case. Here Rabbi Yossi is referring to Chiyinotsu Ha-Nashim. Two men were fighting. the nagfu Isha-Hara, V'yatsi Yilodel. And the din of the Torah is, is that the May V'lodos has to be paid to the husband. So on that, says Rabbi Yossi, yes, the man who accidentally caused a woman to lose her fetus, has to pay to the husband the dmei but he gets to deduct, he gets to deduct the price of a midwife. In other words, the hitter tells the husband, okay, you lost a fetus, a fetus, however you cheshman that, we learned that before, a hundred dollars, if that would have been the number, but don't forget, had your wife carried the baby and given birth to her, you would need to hire a midwife. A midwife would cost you a price $10, so I'm deducting $10 off the maval others. Another opinion, Benazi says that the, the one who caused the woman to miscarry, Naki mazonis. Naki means that a woman who's pregnant needs to eat more food because she has to not only nourish herself, nourish her child. And now that, God forbid, she lost her child, she doesn't need to eat that additional mazonis that the husband would have to pay. So the mazik gets to deduct the again. The, the concept of kachash gufna. Now, says the Gemari, you should know, the man omar chaya, the one who holds you can deduct the price of the midwife, for sure will agree with Benazai, who says, naki mazaynas. However, manda the omar nakei the opinion that says that you get to deduct mazaynas, uh, he will hold aval nakei that he won't get to deduct the price of a midwife, because the amar Because the husband tells the mazik, you want to deduct the price of a midwife. I want you to know, it's a didi, my wife, she's an expert. We would not need to hire a midwife to her. Or we would not need to hire an expert midwife. Stomach helper. She, being an expert herself, the woman who was pregnant, would tell the helper what to do. So don't deduct $10. Even if you always need someone there, that person would have costed $1. But they all hold this concept again, of Kachash Gufnam and, and she would not need a Chayom says the Gemara and now we're going back to the story how did this all begin? it all began that there was a person who uprooted a palm tree and he went to the Reish Golusa the Mazak and the Nizak to Adem and the Reish Golusa says I know that palm tree and there were three palm trees together and they were worth 100, you got a hundred you, and you, you knocked off one pay 33.33 And they went running to Rav Nachman. Why did they go running to Rav Nachman? Because the mazik says I needed to go to you for you to paskin the way the Persians paskin. We don't paskin that you pay for the produce that was destroyed. We paskin that you pay for the damaged land. And on top of that you add times 60. So the question is who was right and who was wrong? So yesterday we started to learn that the Rishka might have been right because when do you only deduct the damaged land? That's if the animal does damage. But the case of the story was that there was an adam hamazik, and then we have the counter that there's no difference. So now continues the <inaudible> Gemara that Rav Papa and Afuna Na'abei Rav Yeshua, an animal avoid uveda kavasi Rav Nachman b'Shishim that they also did not side in such a case like the Reish Galusa. They didn't hold like the Reish Galusa. They sided with the with with the Rav Nachman that he rejected that Psagdin. Even when an adam was the one that was mazik, if you took, ripped off someone's palm tree. Look at land and don't just look at land. Look at land 60 times the size and how much would it have been worth with the palm tree or without the palm tree. That is only what you need to pay. there's another version. They evaluated the palm tree. It's the same din, it's just different words. Not how much was the palm tree worth. They put a the palm tree on a small piece of land. And small, by the way, doesn't mean teeny. It means a land that can carry 60 such trees. How much was it worth with it? How much is it worth without it? And the Gemara says, That in the case that we just mentioned of, of Rav Papa and Rafuna, that don't differentiate between an animal that does Nezik and a person who does nezik, sounding like Rav Nachman, that you also, you always evaluate land that became devaluated. The Gemara says that's the halacha only when what was destroyed wasn't something very chashiv. So in the case of palm trees, a normal palm tree or a Aramean palm tree. However, if there is a mazik that destroys a Persian palm tree, as the Rashi points out at the end of the Amid, the last second to last line of the Amid, That if that was that which was damaged is something of great chashivas, then we don't say only look at how much was the land devaluated, and at add sixty to that. No, then we look at the tree itself. And this is Gabaldic, so this will now justify the Rej Geluso sagdin. Maybe the Rej also knew that you don't differentiate between Adam HaMazik and an animal that's Mazik. He knew that normally you only make the Khejbin on land that's devaluated. But there, if it was a Persian palm tree that's worth, you see, 33 Zeus for each palm tree, then you've got to pay for the damage that you made by itself. Continues the Gibbon. Eliezer is they called him the younger Eliezer, current Tadapnun Tassamad base. Habasoyim Misone Ukme. He was wearing black shoes. Now Tay's points out that wearing black shoes was not something unusual. Tayswis proves from a Sahvis Bayah that everyone used to wear black shoes. However, what it means is that Yidin used to have white shoelaces. Everyone had black shoes. Jews had white shoelaces. And he shows you from a sect Sanhedrin, and Goyim used to have red shoelaces. Which is why we learned in Sanhedrin that the Shas I'm reading from Toysavis, this is a famous expression, that if Goyim are trying to, God forbid, force Jews to stop keeping Yiddishkeit. So normally the dinner is Yehoreg Baal yava. it is only for the three big Avedas. But if it's a Shas Hashemad, that means the goyim are trying to uproot religion, even if what they are insisting on is just to change the color of the shoelaces. In other words, Jews, stop wearing your white shoelaces. Wear red shoelaces. We have to go Yahad Ha'al even on that. All he does, he points out that Eliezer, the, the younger, who was wearing Mishanei Uchmei, black shoes, it doesn't mean that he was only wearing black shoes. It means that he was wearing black shoes and black shoelaces, which was unusual. Not the shoes part, but the shoelaces part. And and when he dressed in an unusual way, he was in the market of Narda, and the the Reish Golusa, officers of the household of the Reish Golusa met Eliezer, and the Amrulay, and they told him Maishna why are you dressing with black? Now black is a symbol of mourning. As again Tosus brings out, so why are you dressed like a mourner? Meaning. Instead of white shoelaces, black shoelaces. So Amalohu, so Eliezer, the younger, tells the officers of the Reish "The come me Ayerushalayim, I am mourning over Yerushalayim by divine providence." We're now in the three weeks. How so they told him, "This was not during the three weeks. This was done during, during the year, at Chashivat Ayerushalayim." What are you considering yourself? more chashev than everyone else that you are publicly mourning for Yerushalayim in a way that no one else does so. In other words, as the Me'idi brings here the Pasik, "Marbadas, das, marba Which literally means when you're smarter, you have more uh, pains in life because you understand the challenges better. But he uses it specifically that when people have more das when people are more learned, they feel more the pain that the Beis Hamikdash is destroyed. And here we're going to this concept of, don't boast in public. The concept of mechseki yuhara. There are certain times, and we find this even in halacha, that when you take upon yourself to do something beyond the letter of the law, sometimes you're commended for that. But sometimes you're reprimanded for that. Like, who are you? Who are you? He's, he's also humble, That like the maise yuduah. So who are you to be mourning on Yerushalayim? Are you such a big Talmud, Chacham? Are you so knowledgeable? Do you have the marvadas To feel the pain... To, to wear black shoelaces. So they felt, that he's arrogant, he's, he's showing off. And what did they do? They arrested him. They arrested a yid for mourning about Yerushalayim in a way that no one else was doing. And they arrested him for the crime of being a show off. So he understood why he's being arrested. So So he tells the officers of the Rezgalusa, Gavro I'm a great man. I am the Yosef Das. I am the Talmud Chacham. A person like me has the right to mourn the whole year for Yerushalayim. It's not hoardiness. So Amru How do we know that you're a Gavro Rabbah? So Amar Lahusa Eliezer tells them, Hey, Oy Atun boyimi or you ask me any question in Torah and I'll know the answer. Oy Ano or I will ask you and I'll stump you you'll see that I'm I'm the, I'm I'm in the category of the Yusuf Das so Amrulay, so they tell him okay you ask So hu so he asked them uh, the, the, one of the one of the that we are learning in the sugya, kufra kufra is just like some other some other are grapes like we just mentioned so there's the earliest age when they're just shoots they're just clusters but then they begin to bud you can recognize each grape individually. That's the earliest stage of individual recognition of grapes, but it's very unripe. The same thing in grapes, the same thing is in dates. So budding dates is called kufra. So if someone cut someone else's kufra down, my, Mishalem, what does he have to pay? So Amru they told him a simple, Mishalem to make kufra. You're mazik something, look at what you damaged and pay that. So he right away told him, how can you only demand of the mazik to pay for the kufra? Had he not cut down the kufra, it would have developed to become fully developed grapes. Like we learned the sheet of Rabbi Yeshua. Like we learned the sheet of uh, Rab ben Yehuda in the name of Rab Shimon. You pay for the future. Like we learned the sheet of Rabbi Yasi Hagelili by Chazis. And it makes sense. He only pays for, a, for, a, for a kufra. He, the kufra. The, the damaged party would have had dates in a, in a short while. Oh, so they said oh, it makes make sense. So Amrulay, so they admitted to him. You're right. Yeah, he doesn't pay for the kufra. He pays for what the kufra would have developed into. So Amruluhu, so Eliezer the Younger, told back, How can you say that? That also doesn't make sense. He didn't damage Tamarim. He only damaged kufra. How can you make a person pay for something that right now he didn't damage? So he stumped them. So Amrulay, you're right. We don't know the halacha. What is the halacha? So he told them the din, the halach of the Chachamim, that bishishim. Now, really, the way that the Shainim learned, he did a gavaldike thing when he told them the bishishim. after he went back and forth, future or present. Up until now, first we learned in our Mishnah, the machlekes, the Chachamim, in the beginning of kindness. The Chachamim say you only pay for the devalued land, which is the greatest leniency for the Mazik. Rav Shimon in our Mishnah says that if the produce was mamich ripe, then you, pay for the, then you pay for the produce, for the current produce. But yesterday we started to learn the concept of paying for the future. So he understands the following. That you pay for the devalued land. But look look at this chab. How do you pay for the devalued land? You look at the land that's 60 times the size. How much is it worth with the produce on it? How much is it worth without the produce on it? But when you look at the produce on it or the produce off it, you don't look at the kufra. This is Gavaldic. So let's say my animal or I destroyed your kufra. Your kufra right now is worth a dollar. It's nothing. It's Mama It just began to develop. It's, it's just budding. Your kufra, if it would have become te'enim, the te'enim in the future would have been worth, let's say, a hundred dollars. So here we say, I do, don't pay you the hundred dollars. Look at the developed hundred dollar Dates, but put them on a land that's sixty times the size. How much would that land be worth with the dates, the developed dates on it? How much will this land be worth without the developed dates on it? And that difference needs to be paid. What's really his like the Chachamim? Of course, they disagree. No, it's when we learned yesterday, they're basically that for chazes, I don't pay for the chazes, I pay for the grain. Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Shimon, they hold, I pay for the produce. And not only do I pay for the produce, which is a more detrimental way for the mazik to pay, but they don't even look at the present. How much would it have been worse right before you're going to harvest it? He's poskening, Eliezer is the eater, poskening shishim. But he's not saying shishim, don't look at the smother and at shishim. Look at the anavim. But put it on a land that's 60 times the amount and deduct that, that difference. He's putting them together. No, 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 no. It's a kula and a khumra. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, the general kula is like the chachamim. You don't pay for the produce, you pay for the devalued land. But at least when you're only paying for the lenient way, don't look at the current smother. Don't look at the current kufra, devaldic. The so they asked him, Omru, so Amru they asked him, Man Omar Kavasa, who holds like you? Especially the way we explained it. We, we never spoke out such an opinion. Because until now, we either learned only pay for the, the devalued land or pay for the future. How do you know that you're right? So, Amar they Luhu. Did, they didn't know the answer. Once they heard this, they asked him, yeah, who holds like that? So, Amar Luhu tells them in the first white line, Ha, Shmuel Chai. Hey, Shmuel is alive now. Ubeiz Dina and based in his basin is standing. Why don't you ask this Shaila in the basin of Shmuel? Shodru Kamei De Shmuel and they asked Shmuel and they knew what Eliezer answered. And Omar, who and Shmuel responded, That Eliezer, the response, the way he interpreted, the way we explained the Shishim, is the right halacha? Such a, it's such a funny story. Ah, so now that they discovered that he's Taka Talmud Chachim v'shavku, they released him from jail. And this perhaps is connected... Dafke to the concept of him mourning for the Chorbin Beisan Mikdash because why did he bring up this halacha? Because this halacha teaches us that when you evaluate a current damage, you have to look into, you have to project into the future. Let's bring this to the Chorbin Beisan Mikdash. We need a Beisan Mikdash. But on the other hand, in the context of the future, in know, Shabbos, these days are going to be transformed. Simcha, because in the context of the future, the current Khurban is Hashem took away the old to build something even greater. So when you mourn for the Khurban Habayis, but you also look into the future, it's not just looking into the past. It, To a certain degree, on one hand, it gets you motivated to bring the, the third base on Migdash, and on the other hand, it puts the mourning in the right perspective, which is how on Shabbos we can be B'simcha. And this year, it's a Nitcha. How can you eat on B'Av? Because in the, in the context of the future, this is the beginning of the building of the third base of He wasn't fully dressed in black. His shoelaces were black. It put the morning in, in the right perspective. Ulay, vayter. To that. Says the Gemara, "Rab So going back to the Mishnah, we just spoke out the Mishnah, before we learned the whole concept of Shishim. So my animal... Damaged your produce. So the Tanakama says you only make the cheshben on how much was the land devalued. Rapshimin in the Mishnah says, -uh." That if my animal ate up ripe petas, I got to pay for the value of the petas. The problem is yesterday, the Gemara asked, Where did the Chachamim get this concept that you only evaluate the damage based on devalued land? He had a pasuk for that. So what does Rapshiman do with the Pasik? How can Rap Shiman disagree with the Chachamim? Ha the that which we learned yesterday, which was the source of the Chachamim, that when the Torah says, Ubir And we learn Al that you only evaluate the damage based on how much will the land be devaluated. Says the Gemara, Hanamili. When does the mazik get to pay such a little amount, when the produce that he or his animal destroyed still needed to be on the field. So then you only look at the devalued field. In other words, the produce was not ripe. But but in the case of Rav Shimon, since the produce is fully ripe, you can harvest it now, Is you have to pay for this produce as they stand on their own. You don't look at how much was the land devalued. No, the produce was about to be harvested. harvest. It's as if it's harvested. Amar Rav Huna, bar the name of Rabbi That you should know that Don, Rav, Kerav Meir, U-Pasak Hilchase Kerav So the din of Rav Meir we'll learn in a moment. So he says you should know that Rav was done, Rav ruled like Rav Meir. He paskened like Rav Shimon. Paskening like Rav Shimon means our Rav Shemin yes if the if the produce was not ripe then bishishim a karka but if the produce is ripe then you pay for the produce itself now before we go into the din of Rav Meir there's a very important Rashi Rashi here just speaks out either say Rav Pasak kirav Pasak kirav or say Rav Don kirav Meir Vidun Don when do we use the word that a certain here an amaira? Rav is really like a Tana when do we use the word done and when do we use the word pasak? So Rashi here says, done Rav means Maisa avad. Whenever an actual case came in front of a pasak, and he paskined in a real case one way or the other, which was the case of Rav Meir, that Rav in a certain scenario paskined like Rav Meir. That's the word done. The word pasak means he was giving a shir in the yeshiva. He learned the Mishnah and he paskined that you should know that forever. The halacha is like Rav Shimon. So because he paskin like Rav Shimon. What's the case of Rav Meir? Don't get Rav Meir the Tanya. Let's speak it all by heart. We're going back to Masecht Subas. When a man marries a woman, he, I that just means in that particular case? yeah, yeah. Well, since he paskin in that particular case, we know that he paskin's like Rav Meir. But it wasn't that he was teaching the case as we'll speak out in a moment, and he paskin like Rav Meir. The Gemara is recording that he was sitting in his base din, and you know, there was a Dintreira and in a, a Dintreira it came down to Rav Meir or Rabbi Yehuda and he Paskan like Rav Meir. Done is when you actually Paskaned. The words Upasak means when you weren't actually paskening on a case. You were just teaching that you should know the halach is like this or like that. Now what's the case of Rav Meir? A woman who gets married gets a Ksuba. The monies that the man is undertaking to give to her, either if he divorces her or if he predeceases her, that money is a lien, is automatically leaned on the properties of the husband. Now, let's say the husband has two properties. Each one can fully cover the exuma. The husband, while he's married to her, when he's living, if he sells property number one, just the way these things work being that he's still retaining property number two that can cover the ksuba, the lien goes to property number two. And that's the rule of in all Bali that even though you can collect it from the mishubadim, but when the person who owes you money still has b'nei chayrin, you go first to the b'nei chayrin and you don't go to the lukuches. All right. Now, a woman, if she wants, and sometimes husband asked of their wives that when they're selling a piece of property, a married man, the buyer tells the husband, I don't want to buy this from you. Because if you're going to divorce your wife, if you're going to predecease her, she's going to come take it, take it from me. So the husband sometimes will ask his wife, do me a favor, sign off on this sale, meaning, say, sign, that even if I'll die, or if I will predecease you, the man who's buying this property will never have the right to take this away from you. If a woman gives up her lien on a property, and if she makes a proper king, she will not be able to take it away from the Lukuches. So now, here's the case. When the man sold the first field, a man sold property, number one. This is a man who only owns two properties. Each property in itself would have covered the ksuba. When he sold the first property, he didn't ask her, she didn't sign off. She never gave up her right to collect that if there's no other option. But like we mentioned, when the man sold the first property, he still had the second. Since he still had the second, and that is still under the ownership of the husband, so let's say the husband would have divorced her right now. She would never be allowed to go to the first lekeach because how can she go to the first lekeach when the husband still has property? Then the husband sold the second property, malay, and she signed off on the second property. She signed, oh, there's a whole does she have to sign, does she have to make a king? But the bottom line is, is that she did something which is a declaration, a valid declaration that she releases... Any claim she has on the second property. So now, the husband dies. And the husband has nothing. His, the only thing she can collect from are from those properties. So that made holds, she lost her ksuba. Why did she lose her ksuba? Even though she did not sign off on the first, so what? When the husband sold the first, he still owned the second. So all of the lien went to the second. She signed off when he sold the second property, so she lost her Ksuba. Rabbi Yehuda says, that she can say in Din." this is a concept, that when I signed off when he sold the second property, I really didn't mean it. There was no Gimiraz Das. You know why I did it? Because I was still married to him then. If I wouldn't have signed off, he would have gotten upset with me. So to maintain Shalom Bayis, I agreed to something that deep down I never agreed to. And that's the whole sugya: whether a woman can claim Nachas Sisi or not. And therefore she tells them, Now Rav Meir disagrees, and if you remember in Ksubas we learned, Rav Meir agrees that there are times that a woman can claim Nachas I agree to something, but I didn't really mean it. I only did it to maintain the peace. Rav Meir says, here she cannot say it. Because if this is a woman that... she's a nachasruach, she's trying to appease her husband, she would have also signed off her rights when he sold the first property the fact that she didn't sign off by the first property shows that she's not a woman who's trying constantly to appease her husband which means that when she did so on the second property she not and here the concept of Rav Meir is doesn't matter Still, a husband, a lekeach bachlal, you should know a lekeach that buys property from a married man, always is concerned. How can I buy it from you? Just like a man who buys property from someone who owes money. You're worried. That's the due diligence people do today. You don't want to buy a property that other people have liens on. Every married man's properties are linked to the wife's ksuba. And some of these ksubas were worth a lot of money. We're speaking about a whole property that's just to cover a ksuba. So. A woman who wants to make nachasroch will always tell her husband, you know what, you can sell properties, buy properties, I sign off all my rights. Feel free to do business. If she didn't do it on the first, she meant it when she did it. And Ra Paskin like that. Meaning, going back to this case, that Achla paid his gemurim. That yes, we have this concept of only paying for devalued land. But if the mazik ate up ripe produce, then Mishalem is paid his gemurim. Then you got to pay for the ripe produce. And that's a lot of money. And if you ate up a saw, pay for a saw of ripe uh, produce. If the animal ate up two saw, pay for tusa. two saw. You don't get this uh, lenient type of evaluation. Let's move on. Says the Mishnah. Yeah. Yeah, let's move on to the Mishnah. Says the Mishnah. Hamagdish... If one piles a stack of grain on someone else's property, but the piler, the magadish, does it without getting permission? So I bring my grain and I stack it in your backyard. And you, the Balabas, the balasada, your animal ate up my grain, and I'm Sharaiing, pay me for the grain. Says the Mishnah, we had this before, that the Baal Hasadah, the balabas, is potter. Because he tells the Baal of the grain, the magdish, who asked you to pile your grain in my land? However, to him, Husqabahen, if the animal of the balabas got damaged on my grain, and Anachanami we learned if you remember, on Dathmem Zayin Omid Beis, getting damaged doesn't mean that your animal overate my grain. Because here Rav had a chiddush that I can tell you who asked your animal to eat. Damaged here means, according to Rav, that if your animal slipped on my grain, I had no right to bring my grain in there. Your animal slipped and broke a leg, so Bal HaGodesh is chayif to pay for the damaged animal, because I went into your property. However, Ve'im Higdish B'Rashuz, but if I got permission to bring my grain into your property, and your animal ate up my produce, now Bal HaSod here, here, ate it. No, I had permission to bring it in there. Then your animal ate it up, and I'm coming to you. Hey, you, you ate up my produce, and you gave me the shoes, so you have to pay. Now, really, that was a machlokes So the Gemara says right away, lema tanan Rabbi. We had that, we had that before because the Rabbi holds that you giving me permission to put stuff in your backyard doesn't automatically mean that you're taking responsibility to guard it. The chachamim hold, yeah. That giving permission, if I tell you, you can come into my house, I'm right away taking a of making sure you don't get hurt. kill law of California. That if I go into your house, in California it's completely Michigan. If I go into your house, I think shaloi b'rishul, and I trip, you gotta pay. That's tam midas doim. But the question is, if you give me permission to go into your domain, and I get hurt, are you hive to pay? So that was really a machloikas between the chachamim and the Nebi. So the Gemara says, is our Mishnah not like Rebi? Because the Ike Rebi, HaOmar, Achi, Kabbal, Ola, Bal, Lishmar. That you're only chayif to pay if you explicitly, the balabas tells the balagadish you can bring your stuff in, I'll make sure nothing happens to it, and then if something happens, he's high, but only then... So Amar let's learn that our Mishnah goes according to everyone. But over here, it's not Stamabal Asadim. We're speaking about the watchman of a granary. In other words, if there is a location where all the surrounding fields put their grain there. And for Ganavim not to steal it, they hire a watchman. The watchman's responsibility is to make sure that the grains belonging to different people don't get stolen, don't get damaged. If the watchman tells a person, you can put your grain here, that even according to Rebbe means, I'm taking responsibility to watch it. That's why if something happens to it, he has to pay. Even if if it wasn't verbalized. Yeah. The Kiddush is not that he's not getting paid. The point is that it's not Stam a person saying, You can use my property. If the watchman whose job is to watch tells a person, You can put it into my property, whether he, that there means he's going to watch it. When a watchman tells a person, Come in and stack your grain, he's telling him, I'm going to come and guard it. Let's move on to the next Mishnah. Really, we're making a pure Hazara. We learned this already twice in this Masechta. Let's start. HaSharei If a person sends fire, and quickly reviewing, there's a Machlekes, what does fire mean? There's a coal that's called a Gacheles, meaning it doesn't have flaming fire from it. It's time it's a coal, that if you fan the coal, it'll make it into fire. And then you have a shalhevis. Shalhevis means a flaming fire. A coal that's flaming. So we're going to learn in the Gemara Machlokes what Be'eda are we referring to? But if a man puts a, 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 a fire, either a gachelas in the hands of a cheder of a in the hands of someone who's halachically mentally not competent, and that not competent person took that flame and put it to someone else's stack of grain and the grain burned down, who's Chayef to pay? Says our Mishnah, the Pikeyah who sent the fire is exempt to pay Medina Yadam, even though he's Chayvedina Shamayim. Because Medina Shamayim, you gave flame to a person who's not intelligent enough to understand that they can damage other people's properties. You're you're because you're only Chayved to pay to direct damage. He did not do direct damage, he only caused damage to happen. Grama other, now the Chedesh of a cotton, it goes without saying they're Potter. They're not mechoyv in anything. They're not mentally competent. It's like a minor. He's not mechoyv in mitzvahs. Next case. If one intelligent person gave a fire, again we'll see what that fire is, and he gave it to someone who's a Pikeyah, and the pikayach burned someone else's pile down, the pikayach is Chayef. And here we have the famous rule that And another detail, we learned this before, if the Pikeyach doesn't have any money, and he's not paying, then the sender, Medina Shamayim should pay up. Even though, but you know, just because I hired you to hurt someone else, halachically, I am off the hook, I'm not so off the hook. Midinei shamayim I instigated that. But if the damager paid, then the sender doesn't even have to pay Midinei Shamayim. The damaged party got paid. Now, it continues the Mishnah, if there were two people involved in making the fire, the first one brought fire, the second one brought wood, and now that there's wood, the fire became larger, and now that the fire is larger, now the fire burns someone else's gadish down, who is chayv to pay? Only the second one. Again, the first one caused the damage to happen, but he's more removed from it. Grom ben He's off the hook. The one who brought wood has to pay. and again, since the one who brought the wood pays, the one who brought the fire doesn't even have to pay Videshamahim, because the damaged party doesn't have to get paid twice. He'll get paid from the one who brought the wood. Likewise, on the opposite, that E ate one brought wood, wood without any fire. Wood without fire, guys does nothing. Then someone else put fire to the wood, and then oh, you put fire to the wood, and the wood spread, and the fire spread and they burned down. So, the one who brought the fire is chayiv. What happens? What happens if the one lit a fire, and we're going to go, one lit fire, but that fire would not spread. But someone else came, and he fanned the fire into flames. And now that it was fanned, now the fire damaged. The fanner is chayiv. However, if wind fanned the flames, then they are all exempt. And Bikitsar Tresves asks, why would they be all exempt? And Tresves says, one approach, three lines from the bottom of the Amid, that the Mishnah here is speaking about a case that a Ruach came. No, it's the ones who lit the fire under normal circumstances that fire would not have spread. But later an unusual wind fanned the flames and it damaged. Ah, since it's a Ruach She'einu Metsuya, the ones who lit the fire... They're going to say, we're, you know, we didn't know, normal circumstances wouldn't have led to it. So now, says the Gemara, what is the Be'edah that the Mishnah is referring to? And let's quickly remind ourselves that on Davchav Be'ez, in the famous sugya of Ishoi Mishum, Memoinoi, Ishoi Mishum Chitzav, we had a Machlekes, Rabbi Ishmal, we had a Machlekes, Rabbi Echenon, and a Shlakesh, Rabbi Echenon learns that if a person lights a fire, the fire is considered his arrows. He doesn't have to pay for damages because his money damaged. We say that if I lit a fire and the fire burns someone else's stuff down, I have to pay because I damaged. The gun is not what kills, the person is the one who kills. So it's not the fire, and the fire is an extension of me. The learn know that even if we don't view the fire as an extension of me, since I lit a fire and I did not guard it, so it's like my money that did damage. I didn't foresee how it could damage. I didn't prevent it. I began it. It's my property that did damage. Now that machleikus is directly linked to the machleikus over here. The shlucher says in the name of Chizkia that loishanu in our mishnah that if a man sends fire in the hands of a chayeshei right of a cotton, then the is going to be that he's patan in medine yadam. Why is he put him in the Adam? That's only because he gave to the hands of the imbecile. He gave only a coal. He didn't give him a flaming fire. And veliba, the chedesh, shaitiv, the cotton, were the ones that made it into a flaming fire. Avul musel, shall have this. But if the one, the pikeach, gave to the hands of a chedesh, gave to the hands of a shaitiv or a cotton, a flaming fire, then the sender is chayiv. Why is the sender chayiv? They shlakish lishitasai. Yeah. He it's not his koyach, because he didn't set that guy's granary on fire, but it's his fire. If fire is like in my ox, I didn't guard my axe my ax damaged, I'm chayef to pay. My fire wasn't guarded. No, I gave it into the hands of people who don't know how to guard a fire. I'm chayef because myself can guard my Rabbian will disagree because Rabbi Echinan says that fire is only mhuchuy, only chaif to pay for fire if it's your koyach. So therefore, even shall have Even if I give to a cheder a cotton a flame, but they lit someone else's property on fire, I'm going to be potter because I didn't directly do it. I didn't shoot a gun. It was the grasp of the cheder's bringing the fire to the grain that lit the grain. So I'm in the Shamayim, but I'm potter in the Yodom. However, Rabbi admits that When will I be chayiv? If I give to Achei Deshoi cotton, If I give him Gavza means thorns. Dafsamach, And silta and ships of wood. And Shraga and a flame. That means I gave him something that is highly combustible. And I gave him all the ingredients. And it's automatically going to happen. It takes another second. It's more than the tools. There, Da'hu Vadaimaisa de Dei It's considered halachically like the direct force of the sender. And the sender is going to be Chayif. Medinei adam To be continued.